Great story, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is a reality, was, though, you know? Uh, that, that was super depressing. You could restore it all. And rescue me from You had my You How Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me what I hope based on this upcoming weekend's project, will be my roofing consultant, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? It's good, Curtis. Yeah, I don't know about the roofing consultant part. It's not in your list of random YouTube videos that you've watched? I actually have. Just make sure that you first put down the plywood, then you apply the zip tapes to all the seams, especially if it's too big of a plywood piece. And then when you lay out the shingles, you start from the bottom and you work your way up. And that way you have uh, overlap and waterproofing done. Yeah, I think you missed a few steps there. Yeah. But uh um I mean it's only a shed. Yeah. Uh it's not it's not um but it does it does have two pieces of plywood so there is a seam. It's it, it, the one big thing you miss there is the the first row of shingles going essentially upside down. You have to, you need a you need a row of shingles that doesn't have the slits mm. in them um as your starter row um and uh this is based on my extensive YouTube research <laughs> prior to. I, I am on the final step of this shed that I've been working on for, for a few weeks. And I thought you also need some way to make sure that there's like an air pocket or a way for water to drain below it. And you kind of want to channel channel that water away. Oh, maybe that's if you're using tile. Maybe. Yes. I think you might be true if you're using tile and, I, and I'm not using tile. I'm not, I didn't go and purchase tile for my shed, Come but on. that would make you it could, You could have a tile roof shed. That would be so awesome. I'm pretty sure I'd be the only one in on the planet. <laughs> I'm going to do our standard disclaimer. Persona and I do both work for Druva. This is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. I would also like to say uh, we would love to have you join us on our podcast. Uh, if you have a backup environment, if you have a backup product that you're that you like if you you know if you have a backup product you hate <laughs> that's fine too come on and tell us about it uh you know or why you went from product a to product b you don't have to use your company name you don't even have to use your real name we've had a few people on here uh we've had both harry potter and ron weasley um on here and uh and then finally uh please rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore uh so that we can get some nice ratings uh, out there and and get more people listening to the podcast. Our guest has been in the IT industry, uh, mostly on the vendor side, uh, about as long as I have. And uh, actually having spent nine years at what at that time might have been called Silicon Graphics. He's a founder and now marketing director at Bacula Systems. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Morrison. Thank you. It's great to be here. How are you doing, folks? Uh, so Rob, just real quick. So did, were you at SGI when they changed the name or was that at a different time? Um, yeah, it was um, uh, during the time I was there. I can't remember the exact year, but I reckon it probably was about 96 or 97, something like that. I just, I remember being an external person. I just remember there was this, it's going to be this huge announcement and they made it, it was like a big marketing thing. And then they said, uh, you know, and then the big announcement was that we're changing the name to SGI, which, as you recall, was what everybody called the company anyway. Uh, anyway, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it reminds me of when Network Compliance changed its name to NetApp. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No one called it Network Compliance. Everyone called it NetApp. Yeah. But now you work at Bacula Systems. But before we get to Bacula Systems, we have to talk about Bacula. So I, I first came, you know, I, I first became aware of Bacula back when I was working on my, uh, the second edition of my uh, first backup book. And we brought in open source backup products, which is what uh, Bacula is. And the, the, thing that, uh, the, the thing that I will never forget is that uh, the thing that they said about Bacula is that it roams the data center at night and sucks the vital essence from your computers, which is where the, yeah, yeah. Where the, the name came from. I like that. Uh, how, so how had Bacula been around before 
Bacula systems? Yes, that's right. I mean, Bacula itself uh, had been around since around the year 2000 when Kern Sibold, if you like, who is uh, the father of Bacula, uh, embarked on his open source project because he didn't feel he was really particularly happy with any other um, uh, backup solutions that he could find out there at that time. And so he started writing his own uh, code, as you do when you need a backup solution. Mm. Actually, the reason he was doing that is because he'd previously been working, uh, he'd, he'd been one of the founders of um, Autodesk. And so uh, he felt really comfortable to go ahead and start doing that kind of coding work. Uh, and because backup just became something that he, that he was passionate about. And that went on and grew and grew and grew as a project for about uh, uh, eight or nine years. And then uh, I think it got to a point where at uh, one time he was actually um, talking with somebody who was wanting some help and he'd agreed to, to get, help them out with, um, with some information about uh, Bacula. And they, he noticed that they were starting to ask questions which had to be related to a huge IT infrastructure, uh, you know, with thousands of servers. Uh, and he said, well, hang on a minute, who are you? And they said, we're Bank Austria. And I think at that point he realized that it was – time to you know get more serious on the commercial side and start putting together an organization that could uh, could offer uh, serious deep and and, and consistent uh, support to people so that's how back of the systems uh, was uh, born and came about so the you know the open source uh, side of it is still thrives and develops very nicely uh, but if you like we're more the commercial arm of, of Bacula. so it's interesting because being in the backup and data protection space for a while, I had never heard about Bacula systems or Bacula until Curtis brought it up one day. He's like, oh, have you heard about this? I was like, oh, no, never. But it looks like it is really an open source alternative to traditional or to backup products that are commercially available. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, our customers tend to be medium uh, to large organizations. We tend to swap out solutions which they've been previously using, you know, like IBM, Tivoli, uh, HP, uh, Dell, th those kind of folks, uh, and then replace them uh, with Bacula. That seems to be the trend these days. Uh, it's very much, uh, you know, from what I view from the outside, it's, it reminds me very much of Linux and Red Hat. Right. I, I know there are more than there's more yeah. than just Red Hat, but, yeah. you know, you, you have a commercial arm of an open source product. The other open source product that comes to mind is Amanda, but that's a very different product. That's essentially, as I understand it, a, a wrapper around native tools, sort of a scheduler and, and, and whatnot yeah. uh, to use the tools that are built into the OS. Whereas Bacula is what I would call a more traditional backup product where you are you are writing agents and things like that and file system agents. And um, would, would that be, would that be fair? Yeah, that's absolutely uh, spot on. Um, so we don't uh, really see Amanda too much in our space, but we do get talked about sometimes with them because of the reasons you say, you know, they have an open source background uh, just as uh, we do. Um, but probably in terms of, you know, architecture, we've probably been more, often compared to the likes of uh, IBM Tivoli in terms of understanding, you know, how the actual um, backup system works itself. So I was looking at your list of supported operating systems and, you know, it's, it's all the sort of the usual uh, operating systems that I would expect from a, a server perspective, right? Everything from Solaris all the way up to uh, Windows and Linux and FreeBSD. Uh, one surprise, here's, here's one that I haven't seen in a while, but, uh, IRIX, uh, you know, we, uh, we were just <laughs> yeah. talking about that, that, that was SGI's, uh, OS, right? Yeah. But, uh, Hey, that's nothing to do with me. Um, I don't get much <laughs> of a say. <laughs> that would be funny, but, uh, I don't get much in a, uh, of a say in what operating systems we support. I would only say, um, that, uh, we tend to respond, obviously, to the market. And so uh, that's what we get asked for. And IREX uh, in there is probably more of a legacy um, reason more than anything else. I think when it comes to operating systems, the thing to, to know about Bacula is that it, it is a Linux-based solution. 
So, of course, it's no problem to back up Windows-based data, but you wouldn't want to be running uh, the core of Bacula, we call it, the, the director. You wouldn't be able to run that on Windows. That would be that would be running on a Linux server. Right, which I'm fine with. Uh, I actually, from a ransomware perspective, I'm... I'm not a fan of Windows-based backup servers for that, you know, for that reason. Yeah, for the obvious um, reason. I'd much rather, especially when it comes to st the storing of the data, right? Um, if you're storing the data on servers where you can directly access the data um, via directory and it's a Windows server, that, that makes me nervous at this point based on the things that are going on in the data center. So what do you, so, so. Uh, so I'm seeing, uh, you know, Linux, FreeBSD, Solaris, Windows, uh, Mac OS. Uh, I think I was surprised to see that, you know, and sort of the, the usual traditional main Unixes here. I mean, you know, HPOX, AIX, True64, uh, obviously a, a number of Unix versions that I haven't seen in production in a while, but clearly are still in production in a lot of environments. Yeah, in some environments, you keep coming up against them. You know, one uh, vertical, if you like, that, that I, for me always serves as a good example is in the banking industry, where today they're, they're struggling with the choice between ditching some of their own legacy databases and operating systems, things that they've had running for, you know, let's face it, 20 years, um, or, or t taking the massive shift to move towards new technology where they'll run into a different set of problems. And um, I sometimes feel sorry for the, those IT folks that are faced with those kind of choices because they probably feel like they they can't win. Um, but I, I know that one thing uh, that is coming along that's helping them in many ways is today is container technology, where they're able to take these legacy uh, systems and wrap them in containers, and suddenly they become a lot more serviceable, a lot more transportable, uh, and and giving them a whole lot more options, uh, and frankly, hope for the future. So uh, yeah, there is some good news there. And these containers that you talk about, right? Are these like virtual machines, or are there other containers in your mind that you uh, see customers yeah. using? Uh, I'm talking about things like Docker containers, where you can wrap some old legacy. Uh, um, um, technology and uh, be able to do the things that would be required of it in a new modern uh, environment. Uh, and so in a way, it sort of gets them off the hook or um, is a way for them to buy extra time as they move towards uh, pristine new technologies and doing things in a completely different way. Um, yeah, it, they don't have to re-architect their application or anything like that. Yeah, it's a, you know, with the advent of container technology, that's one of the advantages which is often uh, overlooked. It's uh, because you think it's a new technology, right? It's just going to um, bring new technologies purely from scratch, but it's actually helping to rescue old technologies and prolong the life of uh, older environments. Having said that, re regarding the older technologies, um, I, I, um, I, I don't want it to sound like that. That's all you do, because when I look at your website, you do have, you know, we we mentioned containers, you do have support, um, and, and and I'm curious, you know, what what level of support when I when I go under back Bacula Enterprise Tools. I've got uh, CDP, bare metal recovery, VMware Hyper-V, uh, KVM, uh, which I, or Zen server, um, and uh, Proxmax, uh, Red Hat, Docker, Kubernetes, Oracle, SAP, SQL, Sybase, and Postgres. It's a you huge all list. Those <laughs> yeah. So what kind of support do you have? So let's talk about the, from the, the hypervisor folks. Um, do, do, do you have sort of the... The, the standard hypervisor support where you're backing up at the hypervisor level and backing up VMs from that perspective? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we're talking about native integration into uh, those technologies. Um, sometimes it's a different story and at a different level with the different hypervisor in question. Um, but, yeah, that's something where I'm really proud of Bacula, actually, that they're able to uh, support all of those different kinds of environments. And accordingly, as you would expect, people are coming to us who have the especially large and complex IT environments. I mean, if someone's got an environment where it's it's just VMware and that's it, sure, we can back it up, but then so can probably quite a few other providers. Um, but it's when it's, you know, when they start um, wanting to invest in Proxmox and they've got maybe Red Hat virtualization, I don't know, any kind of other um, uh, hypervisor, 
then it, it starts to become more complicated because they need to meet RTOs and RPOs and they've got a compliance to worry about. So they have to be backing that stuff up properly. Uh, and, and that's what we can offer to them. Yeah, I've never even heard of Proxmox. Um, I saw it. On, <laughs> I saw it on your list and I didn't know it. So is it what what is it? Yeah, I, I don't know too much about it personally, but it is um, gaining in popularity, uh, popularity uh, incredibly quickly. Uh, so it's something I personally need to be finding out more about. But it, it just happens to be a technology where uh, the competent folks in Bacula have uh, developed ways to, to back it up uh, at very deep levels um, so that uh, it's easy to use and you can restore the data very, very quickly. Uh, so um, for us, that's quite a niche in the market for us, and we expect it to, to grow significantly. Yeah, I'm looking at, uh, it says Proxmox is a lightweight open source server virtualization software. I, I, I had heard of KVM, I had heard of Zen Server, I had not heard of Proxmox. Yeah, uh, it, it's, got, it's got some, you know, like a lot of new technologies, it's got cost and flexibility advantages over some of the older, more embedded, more established uh, technologies. Um, but it, it is certainly, I think you're going to hear a lot more about it. It's uh, really growing at a rapid rate. Well, everything would be more than what I've heard about it <laughs> up to this point. So. <laughs> um, and what about, uh, so I see that you're doing, uh, I'm assuming with the database products, you you know, you have sort of the standard database agent that's pulling data directly out of uh, the database. Um, and what do you know what you're doing with Docker and Kubernetes? Um, well, we, uh, we back up and recover data from, uh, uh, Docker and Kubernetes and Kubernetes clusters, uh, environments. Um, to my knowledge, I think we're pretty much the first people in the world to be able to do that. At least, you know, speaking as a, a as a broad solution, uh, backup and recovery, uh, provider. Um, we're again, you know, we're very proud that we can, we can, uh, back up and recover data from those clusters because um, there are, you know, like all the other technologies, you mentioned databases a minute ago, but again, in the world of containers, there are different um, degrees to which uh, you may want to back up data. And it's one thing to back up a Kubernetes cluster environment, but you've also got to be able to back up uh, the persistent data, uh, which is uh, within it. And th this brings us right into a topic where um, I, I actually see quite a lot today, a bit of a clash between the culture of DevOps and the true operations side of a, a company where th there's, there's very often a disconnect uh, and it can be very uncomfortable when they get to the deployment stage of whatever it is the DevOps folks have been creating in their, in their DevOps department. Uh, and, and one of these things is is probably around the fact that, you know, DevOps people, they do what they're meant to do, which is spend their time coding and doing a lot of brilliant things on the coding side. But they probably don't get too much exposure to the real hard world of business and how um, certain elements of the data that a business needs to hold are, are critical to that, that company's um, um, uh, business side. Uh, and, and so then what you get is when it gets to the point where some new Kubernetes cluster has been uh, developed and it's time to uh, deploy it. Um, one classic example is where the DevOps folks maybe haven't thought through as much as they could have about the importance of backing up the data, the persistent data, as well as the actual um, uh, Kubernetes cluster itself. Uh, and, and sometimes that can be lost upon them and then unfortunately it's it's then up to the it manager in in the deployed uh, environment to pick up the pieces and start to figure out how the heck they're going to actually do that that's actually an interesting point because it's kind of the right hand and the left hand don't always talk together i guess in the past you would have had application developers followed by the people actually putting things into operations but there's kind of a better boundary, if you will, or a better handoff mechanism, I guess, between DevOps and operations, like the people actually operating in the field after that, right? I guess there isn't such a clean split anymore. I think that's exactly right. And uh, I think a lot of companies will appoint a person 
who will be responsible for especially tackling that exact issue. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, 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 it's therefore easy to take care of. Um, you know, a DevOps person, and no disrespect intended at all, as I said before, they do what they have to do and they do it very well, but they don't always understand business. They don't get the exposure to it. It's quite natural, isn't it, when you think about it? And, and they don't, uh, if you like, appreciate the many different parts of a business that depend on that data. To be fair on them, you know, how can they? Uh, and, and I'm talking about from the prospects I've seen and sometimes been talking to quite senior DevOps guys who, you know, got promoted to their high position because they were, well, good at developing code. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but if you're a DevOps person, maybe listening to this, also just look at it from the other side. Think how difficult it is for a non-DevOps person to understand that stuff, Uh you know, pods and containers and uh, replication of that kind of environment. Um, but it, it, so it makes things really uh, complex. Uh, uh, you know, that previously they did their development. It was it was a sandbox style thing. They had it on uh, Git or they had it on uh, SVN. Um, and their philosophy for Kubernetes and containers, you know, is, is that, look, it can be cloned. It can be expanded to very large scale very quickly. Uh, so when you can automate it like this in a, at a very high rate, well, why back it up? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one of Curtis's favorite topics of backup. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Regardless uh, you know, of if it's containers or SaaS apps or whatever else it is. So that that's Just it. Back I mean, it up. What they're thinking. They're thinking, you know, because look, if an environment's busy crashing, well, you just replaced it automatically, right? But what they totally forget is that there's business data in there now. It's different. It's deployed, very different. Uh, and with a um, with a specific business use uh, uh, of, of these containers, the data, and I'm specifically usually talking about this persistent data, uh, becomes extremely valuable from the business point of view. And therefore, you then have to uh, change your approach in terms of backup, how you can back up that data, how you can recover it, and in what way. So um, let's. Uh, we, we've talked about what you can back up, uh, and now I'm looking at your architecture page and looking at what you can back up to, which turns out to be all the things. So... You can back up to tape, obviously tape autoloaders and, and tape libraries and things like that, disk, BTL, and cloud. You, you list all of those things. I think what I was surprised, uh, you know, every, every time I look at your page, you know, um, I, I'm surprised about something that to me is new that you do that you didn't do the last time I looked at your page. And today that, that, that thing is dedupe. I was surprised to see, you know, dedupe listed as part of your offering, because you, you've got it listed, uh, being able to do dedupe to, to whatever storage you want to do. Um, so you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, well, again, I'm not too technical. I wouldn't be able to say too too much, but we have uh, two different kinds of uh, dedupe technologies, and it's horses for courses. It depends um, what kind of thing you need. We uh, continue to develop our deduplication technology pretty aggressively and uh probably about six weeks from now we're going to be uh making some uh more announcements to do with deduplication uh in connection with uh with tape uh, and with the cloud so um it's exciting times i think uh for us uh, i'm pleased that instead of just having a dedupe technology and and just leaving it at that and sailing forwards that we continue to um, uh, develop it and, and see what else we can do. But a lot of this really, uh, to be honest, is, is just coming from feedback from customers. It's what it is uh, they need. Uh, and, and that's why today we've got this you know, incredibly broad capability of being able to integrate into these different uh, applications, these different databases, these different containers and, and different hypervisors. Um, yeah, you yeah, you might not want to talk about it too much or or at all, uh, but I I'll just say that you know historically there, there's another company that comes to mind that does dedupe to tape. Historically, I haven't been a fan of that idea, and so it it might be interesting to have you on again or have someone else that can speak, you know, to a little bit more to the details. You know, sort of two things. One is tape is already so stinking cheap that dedupe seems like it's not so much a waste, but it just unnecessary. 
the other is the idea that I might need several tapes to restore one file. I don't like that idea. And maybe you've figured out how to address that, that latter concern. And, and again, it's interesting that you've, that, that you mentioned that you've got some announcements coming up in that space. I do think dedupe to the cloud makes perfect sense, obviously. Um, and to, to disk and VTL, uh, just curious, what, um, do you know what kind of makeup you have in terms of people that are backing up to disk tape and cloud these days? Um, how do you mean? What what kinds of people? Uh, cautious. Well, people. Mean, meaning <laughs> like pr- proportions of your customer base. Uh, you know, like statements like, "Yeah, nobody uses tape anymore." It's a hundred percent. Obviously, that's not the case. Or most of our customers use tape. You know, half and half. You know what? That that's kind of what I'm curious about. Yeah. Okay. So um, the majority of our customers, probably like anybody else, is really. Um, uh, always um, working with disk okay uh, yeah. however the fact that we we have we just happen to have a, a solution that interoperates very very well with many different kinds of tapes draws customers to us who still believe in tape backup and um, again with all of the uh, the terrible um, developments with malware in the past couple of years tape is definitely making a bit of a comeback in certain sectors and for 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 certain reasons uh so we take uh tape very seriously and there's no question that in the past year there's been a uh a clear uptick in the amount of people contacting us saying look we want to start uh backing up to tape and and doing off-site backups just you know the good old-fashioned way from a ransomware perspective, yeah. From for I, it seems to be that a lot of this is driven by uh, or malware. I guess app, malware. Absolutely, general. and uh, you know, we were talking to a, a prospect the other day who told us a story about how ransomware really works and uh, what these guys really, really do. Um, uh, and it, it was actually by taking our company takes part on a network, right? That is, it's there to bring together the support services managers and that, that side of the community that manage support services. And uh, there was there was one person on that network, and they were from a very large company, uh, and and told us, look, you know, ninety eight percent of all attacks on companies today are actually ransomware attacks. It's the issue of our times, and. Um, the other cybersecurity stuff out there, they said, we don't even care about it because it's all about ransomware today. And, and this company had been uh, receiving um, mails. Uh, these cyber criminals had been sending out uh, um, company emails with the link inside it, of course, uh, and pretending, and I, it has to be said, pretending very, very well to be a bank or something similar like that. And, right. Uh, the phishing attacks yeah absolutely and, and at this stage of sending these trick emails uh it was um it became clear afterwards after the event that the pirates had really spent a lot of time personalizing this content to make it look absolutely genuine and real and and unquestionable even you know it, we're not talking about the usual amateur stuff that most of us are familiar with you know in our email box over the previous years um, so they were getting these emails and of course it has a link in it or these links in it. And if you go and click on one of those links, then it infects, of course, your computer. Although you don't know, you don't know at that time. Um, and then it goes on to infect the servers in your company. Um, and if you're a target of these attacks, you know, it, it takes weeks and weeks to slowly manifest itself and infect, uh, and infect all of your company's workstations and laptops and then the company's servers too, and uh, so apparently now the trend now with uh, the modern, the most recent ransomware attacks is to get to a point where it then sends all the company's valuable data to somewhere outside of the company. It extracts it, if you will, out onto remote servers that are outside uh, uh, of that company's networks. Um, and then the person we were talking to you know, told this story about how they the attack then happened. It happened on a Sunday evening. The support portal was down. The website came down. Everything was down, the mail server. Uh, and then Monday morning, the company gets contacted by these pirates who say they want $10 million, right? And uh, Or they'll release your info, right? Yeah, to release the, the info back. And 
uh, of course, you know, this victim company are saying, what? You crazy idiots. We're never going to pay that. That's ridiculous. Uh, uh, but then, you know, the pirates just then published a sample of their most sensitive data on the dark net. It was salary slips of executives, passport IDs, oh. uh, detailed credit card numbers, all, all, all these kind of things. And, uh, you know, what became clear at this stage is that these pirates were extremely well-organized and very competent in exactly what and how they were they were managing things and managing the situation. Um, so anyway, the, the, this victim company, uh, unfortunately for them, very, very sensitive uh, to GDPR rules, you know, data regulation rules uh, and compliance and so on. So long story short, they paid the ransom. Uh and and were subsequently then able to recover its data, uh, its its data, and, and and recover its business. Um, but on the first, mo- the other thing that a lot of people I think don't realize is that the psychological effects it it has on the company that's been hit. Uh, so, for example, on the first morning of this attack, they still needed to reach their own customers, uh, uh, who they had to support to explain what was happening. And they had to set up a brand new server to contact the customers, but they had no way to do that. Uh, in the end, they they resorted just using WhatsApp to to reach out to to, to customers, and they had to start with their key customers, um, and they had to provide new ways for customers to contact them, ask them to be patient, and only contact them for critical issues. Just a total nightmare. Um, so everything just going through phones at the very beginning, and they had to be disciplined to focus on only on the most important support issues that they dealt with. So it was just very, very difficult for that whole company and massively stressful to all the individuals working for them. And, you know, even after they had their data back, uh, they're back online, they uh, they couldn't be sure that there wasn't, you know, a bad seed still in the data or that they weren't being spied on. So like I mentioned, this was just a horrible traumatic experience for everyone in the company. Got no sleep for about three weeks. People were being ill afterwards and... Uh, it's very, uh, very unfortunate. And then, then they had to move on and, you know, hire the specialist anti-ransomware company and track down where the, the ransomware had originated and identify the source and get it all cleaned up. Uh, yeah, really horrific. Great story, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a reality, was, though, you know? That, that was super depressing. We all hope it's not going to happen to us. Yeah. This new sort of phase of ransomware that, you know, that I'm calling theftware or uh, this idea that they're going to exfiltrate the data and publish it. Yeah. That's that's unfortunately not something that a backup system can address. Right. Uh, You can, you know, it's like it's it's that's that's why it's so frustrating to me when I hear stories like that. Right. That basically that because. You could say, well, we can recover our data, yeah, but we're gonna we're going to we're gonna publish your most sensitive data. Um, you know, the the one that comes to mind is what what happened to Sony Pictures, right? Because that the same thing, the story that you just described happened to Sony Pictures, where they published they published emails where they were talking about stars and things like that. Very very sensitive, very embarrassing stuff. Um, so um, it, this all started with basically the fact that you've had this increase in interest in tape um i'd I'd say we we've had an increased interest in sort of um uh, there are ways disc wise to, to to provide similar stuff tape is the very obvious um you know the 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 beautiful thing about tape is that you can take it out right that you can take it out and put it on a shelf put it in a vault and no one can get to it, uh, you know, um, that that's also the downside to tape, right? <laughs> if you need it, you have to go get it, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but that but that's absolutely the thing that I think is making it uh, have a resurgence. It is interesting to hear that you that you've had that resurgence. What uh, what do you do with the cloud? Do you do you back up um, to to the usual? Uh, providers there yeah i mean it's hard to know where to start on the subject of the cloud where um um first of all the cloud are our customers um you can see as a as enablers uh, in a way i suppose um there's uh, a high proportion of our customers that are msps okay uh and and they use bacula to be able to 
um, offer backup services to their own customers and increase their own revenue as, as well as just you know simply backing up their own data so there's that side of the business and then there's the, if you like the technical view which is well what do we do with the cloud sure we can hook up uh to uh, pretty much all, all cloud gateways and and that's fine um but we try to take things a little bit further in terms of backup uh where um we feel it's important to offer some cloud management tools you know i'm talking about bandwidth management uh being able to choose uh bucket sizes and uh, uh have some management control over the way you put uh um data into the cloud um we're also mindful of the fact that uh if you are relying overly heavily on backing um, on putting backed up data into the cloud and then you're in a disaster recovery recovery scenario um hopefully not but it can happen as we've just been discussing and then at that point you might find that you're facing a horrifically large bill from the cloud company people to, don't realize that yeah <laughs> yeah to get all your data back and you know it's it sort of uh, it's double painful and you know you raised only a few minutes ago that let's face it disk is pretty cheap these days uh so uh, we encourage our customers to often consider uh, having a disk cache so that then they can uh, still back up to cloud, but on the premise that they hopefully simply will never need it. And then they can just uh, use our disk cache system to be able to save them a lot of time and, of course, be able to recover data uh, much more quickly. So, yeah, we, we have a cloud story, which is uh, different um, on a number of fronts. Yeah, I, li I like that idea. Um, the 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 idea of using a local disk cache, and then you're going to automatically send the the rest of the backups up to the cloud. Um, so, I, when I look at sort of the the things that are happening in IT today, I, I, I was surprised to see that you do Kubernetes and containers. What I'm not seeing yet um, yet is support for backing up the cloud. And backing up things like SaaS providers, um, I, I'm guessing that if you have any plans in that, you can't really speak to them. Um, no, all I can say is that again, we've got announcements coming up literally in the next six or seven weeks, uh, which are in that direction. Uh, so, okay, uh, yeah, it is something our customers are starting to ask us for, and we're uh, beginning to answer it. it. To be honest, it wasn't something we'd been asked for until. Uh, in the last six or eight months. Before that, we weren't seeing too much of it. Um, was a lot of clearly, that because of working from home and remote working and all the rest, at least the SaaS side of things? Yeah, I think there are there, there have been some changes because of that reason. And uh, I, I don't think that things are ever going to go back to how they were before. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. But I think we've all realized that there's been a, a, you know, a fundamental change. Uh, and, and so we have to answer to that, yeah. Yeah, Curtis and I were just talking about that in our predictions episode where it was like, okay, I don't think things are going to go back to the way they were before last year. Things are, it's kind of become normal to do the remote for more remote working, ransomware. Like you said, it's prevalent now. It's not going to stop. It'll just evolve into something different. So I think oh, yeah. people need to yeah. take this seriously and just be on the guard going forward. Yeah, I do. I do want to go to the movies though. I yeah, it'll, me too. I miss that. It'll be really <laughs> nice to get back to going to uh, going to the movies. But yeah, we are all working from uh, home now. And again, on the ransomware note, it just makes us all the more vulnerable to cyber criminals. You know, we work from home where more staff are off sick, unfortunately. Uh, office are not, offices, are, I guess, are not so easily accessible than they were. Transport, you know, travel is difficult. And, and what we're seeing is that cyber criminals, they're sp specifically exploiting COVID uh, and the yeah. unfortunate effects of it. It just makes it even more sick, doesn't it, the whole? Uh, yeah, they're not, they're not taking time off. No, absolutely not, and 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 so they they're just actually playing it, uh, and the additional opportunities that it brings to these uh, these pirates. So you have a pretty broad, um, like it, your 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 portfolio in in some sense, you know, reminds me of sort of the traditional backup products because more more products that have come out in the, let's say the last ten years or so, they focused entirely on. VMware and Hyper-V, Linux and Windows, done, 
right? Maybe here's a database, you know, maybe we're going to throw in Oracle, maybe we're going to throw in um, yeah. Kubernetes, uh, but but they but they don't do the 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 traditional Unixes that have that are a bit long in the tooth at this point. So you remind me a little bit of the more traditional backup products. Um, so curious, um, I, I've got a couple questions. So who who do you or what types of products do you find yourself taking out? Is it those traditional backup products, uh, or are you also you know, are our customers unhappy with some of the newer backup products and the uh, and they're buying you instead of them? Yeah, there's um, there seems to be, from what I can see, uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, there are uh, still quite a few vendors out there who are charging by data volume. Um, and if you're a, an organization that's healthy and profitable and growing, of course, your data volume is likely going to be exploding. So uh, we've never charged by data volume and never will. We just charge by the number of servers that people uh, are using, which we think is a lot more fair in terms of uh, the potential support tickets that 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 customer could generate for us, right? So um, we think that's a better way of going uh, going along with it. And we also just charge on a yearly uh, subscription uh, basis. So that keeps us on our toes because to make sure the subscription gets renewed, we got to make sure that the support that we give is absolutely top notch. Well, I do like that, by the way. I I, I didn't realize you were subscription based. Uh, that's definitely a difference between uh, some of the traditional products. Uh, and and uh, it's interesting you talk about the um, <clears throat> excuse me the you know the storage based pricing or capacity based pricing. You know the company that. Um, that Prasanna and I both work for, they have capacity-based pricing, but it's for the same reason you have server-based pricing. That's where our COGS comes from. Right. Right. Um, because we're, we're a service that runs in the cloud and our cost comes from how much data you put, not the number of servers you back up. So yours, and uh, it makes perfect sense to do um, uh, server-based pricing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, um, okay. So what, let me, let me ask you this, um, Rob, who, because this is just as important, who isn't your customer? Like when you start hearing certain types of questions, um, what, what type of customer isn't yours? Um, it would be, um, windows based shops. Okay. Uh, would not be our, that don't, that don't, that don't want to have any Linux in there. Yeah. I mean, Anybody that's scared of Linux, they're going to be scared of Bacula, I think is probably uh, a fair comment. Um, it could be uh, organizations that um, therefore don't don't have some kind of uh, Linux skills. Um, you, you know, there are some governmental organizations in some countries who um, struggle to get really highly skilled Linux uh, professionals working for them. This is just a wild example. Why? Because those Linux professionals can get paid a lot more in in other more private um, private areas of industry. Mm. Okay, and so again, uh, those kind of um, uh, users would feel maybe that Bacula wouldn't be the kind of thing uh, for them. But on the other hand, there are other government agencies. Uh, for example, um, could be defense and military uh, uh, organizations, could be government laboratories uh, and agencies, um, and especially as we touched upon earlier, those with large amounts of data. Um, those kind of folks uh, are definitely very keen on Bacula, and, and, and they they form a large uh, amount of our uh, of our customer base. So it's really the large organizations, the ones who are Linux savvy, the ones that have got uh, large amounts of data and the ones that appreciate a, uh, a software solution that's, that's highly customizable and, and flexible. And, uh, you know, I, I accept that not everybody wants that kind of solution because, you know, with that, of course, comes more complexity. Um, but, but our customers are definitely the ones who uh, are doing wonderful things with Linux and uh, want a high level of control over their their company's data. Do you also see it as customers who may not be doing backup today and just want something to check the box and they're okay with whatever is out there? They don't necessarily need all the advanced features or they don't know what they need? 
Um, I think it's, it's uh, kind of like the DevOps guy that you were talking about, where they don't necessarily know that they need backup. Um, well, yeah, the, the, there's an element of that, and, and where some people come to us because um, they uh, they appreciate open source, mm. um, and that's interesting. You mentioned Kubernetes; um, it could be Red Hat's OpenShift, but because of the the open source background that containers have, we're also seeing a renaissance, if you like, of interest in open source. And guess what? We, we've got our open source base uh, with uh, with Bacula.org and the Bacula community. Uh, so that kind of uh, type of user, the DevOps people, they understand open source. They know how to use it and exploit it. And so they may be attracted to us uh, for that reason too. That's actually a very unique proposition of Bacula is being that open source platform as well. Uh, yeah, we've sometimes um, done deals with large organizations because uh, they, they know that there's that open source code um, underneath what it is that we provide. Uh, and they don't have to be worried that, that there's any hidden stuff inside our code that perhaps a proprietary vendor um, I don't think would have, but there's always that fear that they could have, um, and sometimes even now, for compliance reasons. Uh, let me let me just push back on that just a little bit because there there does appear to be a significant difference between what's offered in Bacula.org and what's offered in Bacula Systems. So, how much of the code is really open source? Ah, okay. Well, uh, the code of Bacula Systems is built using the same. Uh, open source base okay but when you uh -huh. you know we were just spending that time previously talking about all this fantastic uh, compatibility that we have with so many different yeah. technologies now that is brought about using typically uh plugins modules and those modules are, are proprietary you you can't really get them as a general rule if you're just using bacula uh, community uh, so that's okay. where we have our differentiation and that's where we clearly move into the uh, proprietary area, um, yeah. And what about uh, the dedupe? Is the same thing there? Yeah, it's the same thing. Although uh, Bacula community uh, has container technology, compatible technology, and it has dedupe technology as well. So it is a fairly rounded, uh, capable, uh, uh, very, very capable uh, solution for large enterprises. But it, in the end, it's just the difference of, you know, you talked to originally near the beginning of this, uh, conversation about, for example, is it necessary to put an agent onto every virtual machine, for example, whatever it is you're trying to back up. And uh, with Bacular Enterprise, you're far, far less likely to have to do that. And you, you can have uh, agentless backup. It's less likely to be the case with um, with the Bacular community version. There's something you said earlier on that jogged my memory, which is way back in, I think it was 2009 when Bacula Systems was forming, and I was speaking to my first prospects who were coming to the find out about what Bacula did for the first time. And uh, this prospect I was talking to mentioned that they had this very clear strategy uh, where they uh, wanted to back up to disk, um, but were also backing up to tape. Um, and, and of course, they then wanted to uh, safeguard themselves by storing that tape uh, off-site. Um, Unfortunately, they they'd actually just forgotten to actually ship the tapes off-site, uh, and then there'd been some horrific flood in the data center. Uh, so they they've got themselves into a terrible mess, and that was that was my kind of baptism by fire of understanding just what can go wrong in the data backup and recovery uh, world if you you know if you don't know what you're doing. Three, two, one, rule, baby. <laughs> yeah. Get one of those copies off site, man. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Rob. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. And it's been really, really fun talking with you folks today. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. And thanks, Curtis. I never really knew much about Bacula, but now I know a lot more. And I do like the tagline. Well, <laughs> suck the vital essence out of your computer. Throw me the data center at night. I love that. And thanks to the listeners. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I 
needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. It'll be completely done Maybe 